We're going to get into the Word today, and we've been in a series for the last number of weeks, and I'll just tell you up front, we're going to kind of take a pause in that series today, and I'm just going to shift. We'll, we'll come back to the series probably next week, but I believe the Lord was just really laying it on my heart um, just over the last couple of days that in light of a lot of things that are happening in the world, a lot of the things that are going on in the nation of Israel, this would be a good time to just teach on and talk about the importance of Israel, why Israel matters, and I just want to emphasize this from a Christian perspective. Would that be okay with you guys if we did that today? Um, And so Katie and I and the kids, we came back on Thursday afternoon from a little vacation, a little family vacation, and since we got back, I'll just say I've been, this has been so heavy on my heart that I've been laboring in the Word for the majority of the last 48 hours. So if you look at the last two days, 48 hours, the, the, the bigger than half of that time, I've just been laboring in the Word and seeking God's uh, instruction for how He would have me to convey this message today. I believe He's answered that. I do believe and I hope that it will be a blessing to you this morning. How many would agree that when we kind of look around at everything that's happened really over the last probably three years, three and a half years, um, the world is really shifting before our eyes. Would you agree with that? I mean, you almost have to be kind of living somewhere else to not recognize that. The world really is shifting before our eyes. And if, if you're not grounded in biblical prophecy and in Scripture, in times like this, it would be very natural to panic, to feel discouraged, uh, to feel overwhelmed. But in the midst of what the Bible does say will be times of tribulation and great difficulty on the earth, God's people are still given the ability and meant to live in peace and hopeful expectation of what is yet to come. Uh, and so I, I want to encourage you that, with that today and, and specifically just talk about the topic, why Israel matters. I find that, you know, people are in a number of places when it comes to this particular subject, Israel. Uh, there, there is a doctrinal position for our church around Israel. And a lot of times people either are they very well educated and knowledgeable. And so, you know, they're very passionate about supporting Israel and about uh, anything that's happening, like right now, which is great. And then there are other times where people don't know very much at all. Um, They're kind of confused, but they're hearing and they're understanding that as a believer, they need to be moved, they need to be uh, praying and supporting, but they're just not sure exactly why. It's, It's very important as believers, each and every one of us, that we know what we believe and why we believe it. Right? It's, it's, it's not enough, and I'll be the first person to tell you this. It's not enough for a person to be able to have a response in a difficult situation or, or when their faith is challenged uh, or they're, they're being uh, confronted. It's not enough to be able to say, uh, well, this is what my church believes. Well, this is what my pastor said. Well, I don't know, that's just what I've heard all of the years through the teaching at the church that I've, that I've been at. Your faith has got to be your own. You've got to know what you believe, and you have to know why you believe it. Peter says that we've all got to be prepared and ready to give a defense for the hope that is inside of us whenever we are asked about it. And so that's, that's part of my goal here today is to bring truth through the Word on a topic that really is so far-reaching and far-stretching that, of course, we could spend countless weeks talking about it, but um, I'm hoping to, in a message today, just kind of summarize some things of, from a Christian perspective, why Israel is so important. Um, so, on that note, go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're just going to start here. And verses 1 through 3, the Lord God said to Abram, 
get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land, emphasis on to a land, that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Now listen to this. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. The original covenant promise of God to Abram, which became Abraham, which is God's original covenant with his people that we know today as the nation of Israel. And I love it. He says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I feel like maybe somebody needs to hear this today as well, that whomever God chooses to bless, no man can curse. There's a story in Numbers, and there's a, a king from a neighboring nation by the name of Balak, and he went to his prophet Balaam, and he was very worried about Israel and about the nation, and he said, I want you to, to go to God, and I want you to curse these people. And so Balaam, under the orders of the king, says, okay, you know, that's what I'm going to do, and he goes to try to curse Israel, and the Lord God reveals himself to him, a, a Gentile, non-Jew at this time, which is pretty amazing. And he basically helps Balaam see, which takes the message back to Balak, the king. He says, I can't curse them. Whom God has chosen to bless, I, I can't curse. They're, they're going to be blessed no matter what you tell me to do. You can threaten me with my life, but there's nothing I can do. God says they're blessed. They're going to be blessed. And I just think maybe somebody needs to hear that today, uh, that the enemy's trying to lie to you. Somebody's trying to offer you know, lies of discouragement to you. But you need to know and you need to believe and your faith needs to have substance that if you're a son or daughter of Christ, God says you are blessed. You have an inheritance of spiritual blessings and promises that are rich in Christ Jesus and no man can curse you if God says that you're blessed. You can take on the lies on your own and then live in the lie and marginalize the blessing, but no man can curse you because God says you're blessed. Amen. So this is the original covenant God makes with his people, and we see that in this particular part of scripture, the nation of Israel, which they later got the name Israel through uh, Jacob, we know that, but they were called out to become a people, a nation, and also in the process of being called out to become a nation set apart for God's special purposes They were also given a land. They were given a very definitive land, in fact, a very definitive territory. And so we would say, from a Christian perspective, that that God's uh, sovereign proclamation of Israel as a nation originates from His very Word. It comes from Him. And throughout the Bible, actually, in books like Exodus, Genesis, and in Numbers, it even defines what those boundaries are very clearly. It, it says what God has given to Israel. He says, I, I've made you a nation and I'm putting you in the midst of other surrounding nations. So God not only defined the land and the parameters of that land, but he also was very purposeful in how he did it. Why? Because part of the covenant that God made with his people is that they would be blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. We're going to talk a lot about that today because really God's relationship to Israel is is like a keyway, if you will, to the blessings that come forth to the rest of the world outside of Israel, that God is blessing Israel to release that blessing to the rest of the world. It's pretty powerful to think about. Um, God says that in the Psalms, he says, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and all those who dwell therein. So God's created everything. He owns it all. He created the world, and he, and he gave man dominion over all the earth, but he very specifically assigned purpose and destiny to the nation of Israel and to this specific region, this place on the earth that he's created the entire earth of, if that makes sense. And so point number one of why, this, why Israel matters 
and this is so important from a Christian perspective, is there is an everlasting covenant. There is an everlasting covenant that God made with his people that is still in place today. And, and we do not want to or really have the, the right to come against or violate uh, that particular covenant because God made that covenant with his people. So let me ask you it this way. If God has assigned this territory to Israel, if he's assigned this place to his people, do they have a right to defend themselves? Do they have a right to enforce those borders and protect their land? Absolutely. When you say if God has given us something, then we have a right to stand firm on the inheritance that God has actually given to us. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I want you to hear how many of the prophets describe the everlasting covenant. And think about this for just a second. I know this sounds like a simple question, but what does everlasting mean to you? It means unending, right? It means that there's nothing that's going to change or reverse that. So Jeremiah 32, 40 says this, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing them good. Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, he says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. Now listen to this. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up. For the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Joel chapter 3 verse 20 says, Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. Isaiah 54.10, he says, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of, of peace be removed, says the Lord God who has mercy on you. This is amazing. He's saying, The earth... And the mountains and the hills and, and all of that will fade away. But my covenant with Israel as a nation in the land that I've given them will never fade away. It's pretty crazy to think about. It's almost unfathomable to think about even the world fading away. But God say it, it's more unfathomable to think about my covenant with Israel disappearing. It's an everlasting covenant. Ezekiel Chapter 16, verse 60, he says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Ezekiel 43, verse 7, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Are you getting the picture? This is an everlasting covenant God has made. He, he instituted the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. And throughout all of scripture history, we see again and again through his prophets that God reinforces and recommunicates his covenant with his people. His covenant that they are in fact a nation and a chosen people and that God has given them a land and a place that they are to reside in. It's interesting because we know that throughout history there are many times where Israel wanders. They drift away. God even lets them be taken away from their homeland into other nations of bondage as, as a consequence and a judgment of idolatry and waywardness to the Lord. So, so there are consequences to sin, but it's, just, it's mysterious and miraculous at the same time. God says even in those things... I will always preserve a remnant, and I will always regather and bring my people back. This land will always be the land of my chosen people. That's amazing. Romans chapter 11, Paul says it this way, verse 29. He says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. And Paul is very specifically, in the context of these verses, speaking about 
the nation of Israel. And he's saying that even, even in the midst of many of the Jewish people not accepting Jesus Christ right now as their, as their Messiah, there's still a promise, there's still a plan, there's still a covenant that is going to endure forever that's everlasting with my people. Now make no mistake, that calling and that covenant does hinge upon each and every soul accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We know that. There, there's, there's no dual covenant theology here, which some subscribe to, which says that the nation of Israel can, can find presence with God and relate to God, have access to God because of who they are, and then the Gentile population is through Jesus Christ. It's not true. The Bible says no man can be justified outside of Jesus Christ. If it were the case, then he would have died in vain. So there's, there's no way to access to God outside of Jesus Christ, but even... With that being said, there's still an enduring promise that will be reconciled at the return of Christ that restores all of Israel, God's people, to himself. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But it's an everlasting covenant. So if everlasting describes God's promise to his people, let me just ask you this question. Does God keep his promises? Well, that was a little weak. All right, let's try that again. Does God keep his promises? Yes. I guess if you don't know the answer, then don't say it. But if you believe it, then you should say yes. And that was a little bit better, by the way. Thank you. So, so there is an enduring significance to the nation of Israel and to the people and to the land that God has called, right? Because there is an everlasting covenant that is in place there. The point number two why Israel is so important from a Christian perspective is, I'm calling this point, a debt of gratitude. Why is this so important to the, to the Christian church? A debt of gratitude. Romans 15, 27. Paul is saying this about Gentile believers who've come to the faith, and they're actually making a very generous offering toward Jewish saints in Jerusalem uh, to support them and help them with their practical needs. And this is very interesting the way he describes this. He says, They were very pleased to do it, and they are indeed indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual things, then they are indebted to serve them also in tangible, material things. So in the very early church, it was explosive. Because nobody had even understood this, this concept that outside of the Jewish faith, that people could be partakers of the Jewish promise, of the inheritance that the Jewish people were called to. And now all of a sudden, because of what Christ does, he blows the door wide open on this thing, and the Gentiles are getting saved and are experiencing spiritual blessings and inheritances that are coming through the promises of God. Galatians chapter 3 even says if we are in Christ, then we are actually heirs and seeds of Abraham with the promise. Think about that for a second. That's incredible, right? So here's what's happening, and, and I'm saying this because I believe this has got to be the posture of the church today too. Like This is the humble heart that we maintain, is that they, they are viewing... Uh, their relationship to the Jewish people as like a debt of gratitude because the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ absolutely, in fact, unequivocally came to the world through the Jewish people. Does that make sense? Jesus even said, I've come first to the house of Israel. Paul says in Romans, the gospel has been brought to the world to the Jew first and then to the Greek, or the Gentile, and the rest of the world. So it's just with the way God's plan was to do it, is that Christ came first and brought the message to the promised people. And in layman's terms, he's basically saying, hey, everything you've been hearing about for the last few thousand years by way of prophecy, I'm him. <laughs> I'm the fulfillment of that. It's been pointing to me. And now in the midst of that, he turned it outward, and he began to open it up, to the rest of the entire world. You see how the, the, the world is blessed through the blessing of Israel. The gospel came to us, the Gentile world, through the Jewish population. 
Let me say it this way. We have a Jewish Messiah who has been fulfilled out of Jewish prophecy from a Jewish Bible who empowered Jewish apostles to carry the message of the gospel to the rest of the world. There's a debt of gratitude there. Not, not because we have to pay a debt because we don't get something if we don't. It's, it's the posture of our heart toward God's chosen people. How does it express itself? It expresses itself in the fact that there are, of course, we know Jewish believers, which you would call messianic, and we fellowship with them, and we support them, and we encourage them. And this is what's actually very amazing, and, and this is the case even in St. Louis. There are many Jewish messianic congregations. They have their Jewish roots in history, but they're also believers in Jesus Christ. This might surprise you to know this, but their, their worship services and their churches and their congregations look a little different than ours do. And it's actually very in, inspiring because in many ways they are appreciating and acknowledging much of their Jewish heritage while also celebrating the new covenant and the new things that Christ has brought and offered to them. And so this is really an important thing because when we look at how Scripture says we've come together, it says this in Ephesians 2, he says that God, through Christ, tore down the middle wall of separation and he made one new man out of two. And he's speaking about the Gentile and the Jew, which were separated by a wall. Christ tore that wall down. We never want to rebuild that wall. We never want to put that back up. So even though we're one family, now grafted in through Jesus Christ, we are also distinctly different and unique in our heritage. Does that make sense? So, so as a born-again believer... We don't want to say to a, a Jewish believer who has Jewish roots and Jewish heritage, hey, it's, 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 you no longer need to keep your festivals. You no longer need to you know, maintain your ordinances and your heritage. Like That's part of their roots. That's part of who they are and where they come from. And so we acknowledge that. and In fact, we support that and we celebrate that. But yet at the same time, we don't want to get overzealous and go over the top and think because we're born-again believers grafted into God's promise to the people of Israel that now all of a sudden we have to, as Gentiles, begin to subscribe to all of the Jewish traditions and ordinances as well. Does that make sense? Like I know it's a little deep, but it, that, that would be going over the top. And Paul really address it. In fact, when I read the scripture, the take I get on it when the apostles are writing about these questions, like, hey, what do we do about the Gentiles, you know, not getting circumcised and all this stuff? It's like, oh, this is, this is a kind of a hard deal. This is a good question. And what Paul ends up saying and what the apostles determine is they say, look, let each person remain in the manner in which he was called. If he was called while circumcised, let him remain circumcised. If he was called while uncircumcised, let him remain uncircumcised. Let each one remain in the manner in which he was called. What he's saying is, we can have our Gentile roots and we can have our Jewish roots, but we can be grafted in as one family together, the body of Christ. Additionally, the way we support the people is we also pray for the eyes who have, of those who have not yet seen Jesus as, and I say it this way on purpose, as their Jewish Messiah. <laughs> They're still looking for the Jewish Messiah. Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. He is the Jewish Messiah. You know he was a Jew, right? And Jesus himself maintained the festivals and the ordinances and did all those things, right? And so, so we appreciate that, that there uh, are distinct differences but I've had this happen before where even people, you know, in, in the church, they get a hold of this. Like, okay, we, the gospel came through, through the Jewish people. There's a debt of gratitude. And, and they swing so far whereas they think, okay, we have to subscribe to everything now that the Jewish traditions do. 
I even had a couple one time, no joke, they wrote me a letter and they said, we are not going to be coming to the church anymore because we've realized that the proper way to observe the Sabbath is on Saturday. And so we're going to find a church that has Saturday night service and we just don't believe that having church on Sundays is, is really in line with what God's word says. And so we didn't have a chance to really dialogue about that. But my thought and my even response in thinking about it today is missing the part where Paul is saying, let him remain in the manner in which he was called. Yet let us acknowledge that we have been brought together as one family in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But we appreciate those Jewish roots and those Jewish, that Jewish heritage that we have because we recognize if it weren't for the Jewish people, if it weren't for the Jewish Bible and Jewish prophecy, there would be no Messiah that has brought blessing to the rest of the world. And we are grateful for that. And then Paul says it this way in Romans 11. Fascinating. Fascinating chapter if you want to do a deep study in the Bible, Romans 11. But he talks about the Jew and the Gentile like this. He said, it's like there's an olive tree. And the olive tree is a natural tree. And the root of that basically is, is God. It's supported by God. He said, there were natural branches to that tree, which represent the nation of Israel. They were a part of this promise. And then he says that those branches... The natural branches were actually broken off, which is the rejection of Christ. It is the unacceptance of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. He's saying when they reject that, then those those branches were, were broken off. But then he says the Gentile population is like, they're like wild branches. And because the other branches were broken off, meaning Christ came and brought the fulfillment of prophecy, and their rejection of that, you know, he was still the Messiah, those wild branches have now been actually grafted in. You ever seen anybody like a gardener or a green thumb when you graft? You ever seen how they do that? They graft branches into another plant and eventually begins to grow together and become part of that, that tree. He's saying that's what the Gentile population is like. It's been grafted in to the natural olive tree. Now listen to this. This is very important. He says, even though that's the case, let us not boast against the branches that have been broken off. Meaning, let's not look down on, on the Jewish people who have not yet received Christ as their Messiah. He says, because you need to think of it like this. If you've been grafted in as wild branches... How much more of a celebration will it be when the fulfillment of God's promise happens? And he says, those broken off branches are actually grafted back in. So you see, the ultimate part of that is, he says, all of Israel eventually will be saved. That there's coming a day when the eyes of the people who do not see him will be opened. He even says in Romans 11, he says, right now it's like there's a a blindness that God is allowing over them to not see. But there's coming a time when they will see and recognize that Christ is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Jewish Messiah. And get this, and when that happens and he returns and that happens at that time, then us as Gentiles and the original Jewish people and all that... We are grafted in together, and we are the family of God reigning over a new earth for all of eternity together. One family. Wow. So you see why it is so important uh, that we have a heart for the Jewish people. We We are cooperating and partnering with God's will Because we know it's his will for his people to be reconciled to himself for all the eternal age. So we are partnering with God, cooperating with his will, when as a believer I say, no, I am for Israel. And it doesn't mean that we necessarily condone or acknowledge this view that like the nation of Israel, as it is modern day nation, can do no wrong. That's not the case. 
right? Sin is sin, errancy is errancy. That we, word trumps everything. What we're saying is we recognize that God has a plan and will always have a, there's always a purpose for his chosen people. And so we are partnering with God when we are praying for and contending for the salvation of the Jewish people and for the protection of the land that they've been given by God. Hmm. So, um, that was on Jewish roots. Jesus said in John 4, 22, salvation is from the Jews. Now, I mentioned in the beginning, in the intro, that the world, we see like the world is kind of shifting before our eyes. And many things are happening in our world today that have really just come to our doorstep. They're, 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 we're being confronted in, in normal life at a much more significant rate with matters of morality and conviction and truth. Would you agree with that? And, and so, I guess the bottom line is, as a believer following Christ, you can never be silent or passive, but it's just becoming more obvious now. It's becoming more of a pressured situation where we, we have to know what we believe and why we believe it because you can't stand on something if it doesn't have substance and it doesn't have substance if you don't know why you believe it according to the word of God. And so we see a lot of things that are happening in the world that are, that are challenging us as, as believers Certainly around matters of marriage, matters of sanctity of life, you know, uh, sanctity of gender, things like that. We know that. These things are happening. But I want you to hear this, and I want you to think about this, because I believe the Bible really conveys this for us. We need to know this in terms of preparation as as God's people, the church. How we stand and feel about the people of God and the nation of Israel will be a field of persecution for God's people, for the church. Meaning, are you opposed to them? Do you reject them? You know, there are, even in the history of the Christian church for centuries, there were a lot of uh, viewpoints from the church that because because the Jewish people rejected Christ as their Messiah, that they've been cut off. And the church has become the new Israel. It's called replacement theology. We don't subscribe to that. And, And so in doing that, that paved way to persecution of Jewish people. In fact, if you want to get right down to it, it's kind of the bedrock for what drove the Holocaust. There's this idea that because of the rejection of Christ, they've been cast off. And so now we oppose or we reject them. And there's an antichrist spirit behind that, right? Because it's setting out to really destroy God's purposes and God's plans. And I know you're all paying attention. I know you're watching the news. I know you're hearing about all this stuff. But I just want to point this out so you're in tune and you're aware that since the attacks on Israel happened just over a week ago, there, there has been a massive spike in anti-Semitic incidents all over the world. There have been calls by terrorist regimes to start perpetrating acts of terror against Jewish people and Jewish citizens. Now, you also need to know this, that there are 15.7 million Jews that live in Israel. But this may shock you. 7.3, I'm, I'm sorry, there are 15.7 million Jews worldwide. 7.3 million of those live in Israel. 6.2 million live in the United States. And then all the rest are dispersed around the rest of the world. God will eventually regather his people. We know this. But I'm just saying this because you're seeing a, a heightened spike in hatred and opposition and acts of terror towards Jewish people, it will become, I believe this firmly, 
a ground of persecution for the Christian in the modern age before Jesus returns. Where do you stand in relation to Israel? So it's not something that as a believer we can just be completely indifferent to. We cannot just sit back, you know, and say, well, God's plan is going to come to pass. Israel is going to be restored one day and then just watch everything happen. No, we believe very firmly that God's will is that we play a part in supporting and contending for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Does that make sense? And I'll just say this. You are a part of a church that blesses Israel. You've heard me say this before, that everything that comes into our church by way of, of giving and offering, uh, tithes and offerings, everything that comes in, 10% of that goes back out. And we believe God just you know, really said, this is what I'm calling you to do, and I'll provide everything that's needed for the work I want you to do. So that goes to missions, outreach, benevolence programs, locally, globally, all that stuff. One of the large percentages of that 10% that our support goes to is an organization called Gateway Center for Israel. It's a phenomenal organization. We partner with them through Gateway Church, and they do incredible work not only in Israel but around the world. One of the main things that we do through our partnership there is support messianic Jewish congregations, which in Israel are very much the minority, (laughs) very much the minority. So there is a lot of support through resources, but also equipping to Jewish messianic congregations in Israel, but also around the rest of the world, even here in the States, because the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ are much more likely to reach their Jewish brothers and sisters with the message of the gospel because of the history and the traditions that are there. You with me? Also, it supports evangelism and outreaches to Jewish communities uh, that are unbelieving Jewish communities in Jesus Christ, feeding programs, dental programs, all of those types of things. It's a wonderful organization, and we are very proud to be able to support and partner with them. And we do great work by way of supporting Israel around the world through that. So today, while we're talking about this, I just want to mention that being proactive, you say, okay, well, I'm getting all this. I'm understanding all this. Like, what do I do with it? How can I make a difference? One thing is we have these Israel prayer guides. You can grab one of these in our lobby areas on your way out there. It's a phenomenal way to just look at certain scriptures in the Bible and certain topics and to know How can you pray for Israel? How can you be lifting them up in your prayer time and supporting them that way? Also, uh, this weekend, if you want to make an offering, a giving offering, to support what's happening, which right now much of the support is being directed towards relief efforts and things that are happening, of course, in all of the difficulties right now in the nation. If you wanted to give specifically today... Uh, You could write down missions on the envelope, or you could uh, do it online and choose missions, or if you text to give, you do the amount, space, and then you write missions, type missions after that. We will make sure 100% of everything that comes in this weekend that is dedicated to missions goes to Gateway Center for Israel. So that way, if you feel like God's putting on your heart, I want to do something, and this is how I want to do it, I want to sow some seed and to helping the Jewish people during their, their time of mourning right now, uh, then this is a way for you to be able to do that, okay? If you have questions on that, you can talk to Pastor Mike after service. He'll explain that more to you. Third point, last one is, why Israel is important from a Christian perspective is that Israel is key to Christ's return. The nation of Israel is very key to the return of Christ. Um, the world cannot be properly blessed in the fulfillment of Christ's redemptive plan until Israel takes her proper place in her relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And that is ultimately the consummation into the return of Christ and into the eternal age. We, we know and we see through Scripture that as time draws near to the end, the enemies of Israel will increase. They will begin to surround her. It says in Luke chapter 21 that until the time of the Gentiles is complete, that Israel will be trampled underfoot. So this is a little bit to think about. You've got to put your thinking cap on for a second. But God's plan is to restore his people to himself. And part of his sovereignty, the way that that's going to play out, is that there are armies that are going to rise up under the influence of the Antichrist that will wage war against Israel and against Jerusalem. So you have to wonder, when you see things that are happening right now in our world, you just have to wonder, right? The Bible says that when the Antichrist rises to power, that he will initially be deceptive. He will come and he will form a peace treaty. So you need to pay attention to that. If in the midst of all this, there is somehow some sort of an arrangement of peace that is uh, drawn up. Because for, for these terrorist regimes, you have to understand this, like Hamas and these, these regimes, um, they, they have one purpose and one purpose only. This is, this is, this is well known. And that is to absolutely annihilate and destroy all of the Jewish people. There's no option for peace. There's no option for an agreement. For them, it's 100% annihilation. Men, women, children, elderly, 100%. They, they genuine be, genuinely believe that only through the complete annihilation of the Jewish people could, can they ever live in peace. Okay? So <laughs> there's much hatred. By the, of course, just led by the Antichrist spirit that is fueling all this. But the Antichrist will come to power. And it says in Daniel that he will come and he will form a treaty, peace. But he will break that treaty in the middle of it, in the middle of the period, in the seven-year tribulation. He will break the treaty. It says that at that time, Daniel refers to it as the abomination of desolation. It says that the Antichrist himself, this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says he will sit down in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. So, so many scholars believe that there is a peace treaty that's going to be formed, and in the process of that peace treaty, Israel will be able to re-erect their temple and reinstate their sacrificial system. And then the Antichrist will break that treaty in the middle. And then it says all war begins to wage. It says in Revelation chapter 16 that there's a time during the calamities on the earth where the river Euphrates will dry up and all of the kings of the east will begin to gather and they will march from the east toward the west through the valley of the dried up Euphrates River and they will march to Jerusalem. They will march to Israel and they will surround her. And that will usher in the eternal age, the return of Christ. We know this to be the valley, or the battle of Armageddon. But listen to what Christ says about his people. When this takes place, Zechariah chapter 12, where is that at? Verse 10. He says, And then I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. It says also in Zephaniah chapter 3, Verse 11, in that day, you will not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride. Listen, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people. 
So upon the end of days and the return of Christ, that haughty, prideful, rejecting spirit of Jesus Christ will be broken off of God's people and it will be replaced with a meek and humble spirit. It says they will mourn for what they've done when they see him for who he is. And Jesus even said when he was coming into Jerusalem, this is in Matthew chapter 23, he said, oh Israel, how I mourn for you, how I desired to gather you to myself. Listen, he says, but now you will not see me again until you welcome me. So I just want you to think about this. This is prophecy. This is the fulfillment of what's to come. That his people will in fact look upon him. They will see him and they will welcome him in. And that will usher in the return of Jesus Christ and the eternal age for all of the church, Jew and Gentile, for the rest of eternity. It has all significance to what's yet to come. But I want to close with this thought. This, this very important point. And, and this, this may jar you a little when you think about this or you hear this. But I do want you to think about it. We stand for Israel. We support God's people. We believe that there is still much purpose in what God has yet to do for the Jewish people. But we also pray for all of those who are blinded by terrorist ideology. We pray for certainly the innocent Jew, Arab, and Islam alike who are caught up in the destruction and devastation of what's going on. Because if you trace history all the way back, really, the, the, the divide for, for Jewish people and Arabic people happened with the sons of Abraham. We know this, that, G, that Abraham had a son named Ishmael that he forced, that was, the Bible makes it clear, he was not the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise, his lineage. Okay? So through Isaac in that seed, the world would be blessed. But we've already talked about, that's the key way for the blessing that's there for the rest of the world. That through Isaac, the son of promise, the sons of Ishmael are still invited to the blessing at the table of Jesus Christ. You see, when, when Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, retreated into the wilderness, it says that she, she fleed because of the mistreatment by Sarai, who would be Sarah. And you know what it says? It says God looked upon her affliction and he saw her. God did not approve of the mistreatment by Sarah to Hagar. He did not approve of that. Yet even though Isaac would still become the son of promise, he did not condone the mistreatment of, of Hagar by Sarah. And so when Hagar is in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord appears to her. And he says, I am going to bless the sons of Ishmael. I will multiply him. There will be 12 princes. He will be a great nation. Wasn't the son of promise so important? If we're going to be the church in our world today, we have to know that there, there is an invitation to every lost soul who is caught up in darkness to receive the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ. And we must maintain room in our heart for all of that. God cares very much about the sons of Ishmael. And I think I'll just close right there and, and ask you this question today. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you feel like you've been overlooked, forgotten. Maybe you've been wounded, hurt, even by relationships or, or people in this world who you know. And the enemy would love for you to believe you've been forgotten. You've been overlooked. You are outside the grace of God and the goodness of God. There's no hope for you. If you feel that way, I want to tell you, according to the word of God, 
That is a lie. Maybe I came here today just to tell you this. That God has not overlooked you. You may have been overlooked by men, but you have not been overlooked by God. You are not forgotten. And the arm of the Lord is never too short to save. And in the midst of the difficult time that will come on the earth, there is going to be a widespread revival of people coming to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And that will happen because his bride is in her proper place. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and always like to ask you at this time to just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, how would you have me to apply this message to my life and what are you saying to me in this moment, God? Is he compelling you to pray differently? Is he deepening your faith and understanding of what you believe and why you believe it? Whatever it is, I just encourage you, just ask the Lord right now. What are you saying to me, God? Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Encourage your people. us to herald truth, O oh God, in a time of confusion. God, we lift up all those people in the nation of Israel who are mourning right now, grieving. We mourn with them, God, for their lost loved ones, for the hurting, for the suffering. We pray for the protection of all innocent life may be in harm's way. God, we decree that we, we cooperate with you in your heart by saying we, we condemn all acts of terror, Lord. And we pray even at this time, Lord, for those who are of Islamic faith, who are blinded by hatred and deception. I pray in the midst of hell that you would reveal heaven. In a time of great darkness, that you would begin to shine your light through your people brighter than ever before. I pray, God, that these things that are happening, and only you know, just could take center stage in the world's eye so that you, God, could be known and famous throughout the entire world. We partner with you. We ask you help us to even know how to pray, how to stand, and how to be people of conviction and substance who live true to every word that you have given us in your Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.